is a beautiful spring day, finally. I've been waiting for some nice weather. I just moved to the city and I don't know anyone. I thought that when the weather got nice, if I hovered around outside looking charming, interesting, and non-threatening enough, maybe a group of people my age would pass by and we would immediately and wordlessly become best friends. That hasn't happened yet, but I'm hopeful. I decided to sit outside today on the front steps of my building. There were more people out there than in my tiny kitchen, so the odds were slightly more in my favor. And I was in luck. A few minutes later, a girl walked by. A girl I had met the day I moved in. We chatted and had a nice enough time. And so I was excited to see her again. And I knew it was her because she was wearing the same cherry blossom patterned scarf that she had on the last time we talked. She's nice. She seems like she could use a friend too. So I ask if she wants to maybe take a walk. Mind you, I am not being creepy. I genuinely want friends, which might sound a little desperate, but that's just because it is. Thankfully, she doesn't seem to be bothered by desperation and she gladly takes me up on my offer. We walk along for a few blocks, chatting busily before popping into a coffee shop. I offer to buy my new friend a coffee, but she declines, saying that she's had enough caffeine for the day already, however much caffeine that is. We continue on to the park. It's a large grassy island with a basketball court at one end and a little square of asphalt painted with a hopscotch court on the other. We walk through the grass and over to the hopscotch area where my new friend skips the squares and then gestures for me to do the same, which of course I do because who doesn't like fun? Look at us, whimsical adults playing hopscotch. By Hallmark's estimate, we should fall in love with two passing strangers in roughly 45 seconds. They probably own a tree farm, but carry briefcases because real life is hard. We hop along a couple of times each, laughing. I'm about to start another round. Hop, 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 jump. Then out of nowhere, a yellow ball bounces into my path. It's the sort of ball you might pick out of a corral in the center of a grocery store if you had a child with you. I pick it up, looking for the kid that it must belong to, when I hear my friend yelling in a panic that I had to put the ball down now. She said I needed to do it gently and under no circumstances should I let it bounce. I stopped in my tracks and held the ball in a hug over my chest. As though I was afraid both of us might suddenly fall into a sinkhole. What? I yelled. Jesus, you scared me. Oh, does it belong to like a little psychopath that drowns kittens or something? No! My friend yelled, cutting me off. That's Andy's ball, she says through colorless lips. My friend was very still and very serious. Who's Andy? I asked carefully, and she begins what I can tell will be a story. Andy was a little boy who lived across the street from the park during the Great Depression, she says. Families around here got hit really hard. Andy's parents both worked two jobs just to keep a roof over their head and meager food on their table. Andy was left alone a lot. A lot of kids were. Every day after school, these kids would use the key that was strung on a bit of cord hanging around their neck to unlock the front door of their empty houses. They would hope to find a bit of food, but usually fail, and then run across the street to the park. They were alone, but they were alone together, and that made it a little easier to take. One day, Andy's father came home a little later than usual. Andy had been allowed to wait up to greet him. When his father came in the door, Andy noticed that he had a big smile on his face and his hands behind his back. 
Andy ran to his father for a hug, and from behind his back, his father pulled out a yellow ball. Andy was so excited, he could barely believe his eyes. Toys were a luxury, one that kids around here did not have. The next day after school, Andy ran home. He didn't even care that there were no snacks to be found in his empty house. He just grabbed his brand new ball and ran off towards the park. He couldn't wait to show his friends. On this particular day, though, his friends seemed to be running a little late. He assumed they had chores to do or siblings to care for or something. There were only a few big kids wandering around the park, mixed with the ladies with baby carriages and older couples on walks. One of the bigger kids approached Andy, eyeing his ball, and asked if he wanted to play catch. Andy agreed, happy to make a new friend. They stood a few feet apart, and then Andy tossed the ball to the older boy who quickly caught it. The boy stood there, holding the ball for a couple seconds, smirking, before he turned around and ran. Andy, who understood what his father went through to get that ball, wasn't about to let it go without a fight and took off after the older boy yelling, hey, that's mine! But the older boy just looked over his shoulder with that sickening smirk and kept going. He ran through the grass, down the path, and out of the park's gate, then onto the sidewalk with Andy trailing behind. He ran down the sidewalk and then crossed the street. Andy could see nothing of the world around him at this point. He was only thinking of that brand new yellow ball. When he came to a street, he ignored the stop sign, forgot to look both ways like his father had taught him, and ran blindly after his ball. He was so focused that he didn't hear the delivery truck rumbling towards him until it was too late. In an instant, Andy was gone. The truck knocked him clean out of his shoes. Hearing the collision, the older boy dropped the yellow ball, and it rolled backward toward the park. A few weeks later, after Andy's parents had laid him to rest, the yellow ball began appearing at the park. Andy's friends could swear they saw him chasing after it. One day, that same older boy returned to the park and the ball bounced into his path. The boy picked it up, smirked again, and said, well, I guess we won't be needing it now. Then he bounced it, and the bounce echoed through the park. But the older boy did not take notice. He bounced it again and again and rolled it across the grass, but then lost interest and went back home. That night, alone in his bed, the boy's thoughts turned to Andy, and a voice that seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere at once crept into his darkened room. Let's play, the voice said. Let's play, over and over. Come on, I know you can hear me, the voice persisted. Let's play. The boy was confused. He thought that perhaps he was just overhearing a conversation from another apartment through the walls, or maybe the voices were drifting up from the street below, but it didn't stop. Maybe we could play catch, the voice said, and the older boy stopped in his tracks. He knew this voice, and he knew it was talking to him. From that point on, the talking never stopped. Day and night, it followed him everywhere. Come on, play with me, it begged. The boy did not sleep. He did not eat or read comic books or engage with his friends. He just wandered his neighborhood, talking to seemingly no one. After remaining awake for four consecutive days, exhausted and driven to madness, the boy started walking down the block towards the park. He was in a haze. Nothing else mattered. The voice wanted to play, and so he would have to play. As it got closer to the park, it got louder and more insistent. Come on, it's time to play. All the boy could hear was the voice. It's pleased drowning out the sound of a pickup truck hurtling right for him. 
The boy stepped off the curb, and that was it. The truck knocked him clean out of his shoes. Just then, a yellow ball rolled across the street toward the park, looking for its next friend. From that point on, it was said that if Andy's ball finds you, and you bounce it, you have agreed to play. And Andy won't leave you alone until you're with him forever. Wow, I said. You done? I stood there marveling at her commitment to a bit, which was truly an inspiration. My friend, however, did not think this was funny. He's just a little boy, I said. He wants to play that sweet. He's not even a scary ghost. I think he deserves a friend. I'm gonna play with him, I say, grinning mischievously. We have fun, right? With that, I let the ball loose from my arms and it bounced onto the concrete, echoing throughout the playground. I caught it and passed it to my friend, who dodged it as though it were on fire. Are you insane? She asks, her eyes panicked and glassy. Oh, come on, I say. This is just an urban legend. It's a fun story, but nothing is going to happen. You'll regret it, my friend replied, and she turned and walked away. Hey, wait, come back. I don't even know where I am, I yell after her but she doesn't respond. I was able to find my way home, but I was pretty furious at my friend for abandoning me over what amounted to a children's story. I got to my front door, walked inside and up to my apartment, where I decided it was time for a nice hot shower. I turned on the taps and stepped inside the warm steam. Hey, a little voice says, seemingly from nowhere and everywhere at once. Let's play. What? I said. Oh, come on. I knew you were committed to this, but this is extreme. I threw open my shower curtain and reached for a towel. You got me for a minute, I say laughing. And then I hear it again. The voice. Should we play hide and seek? All right, it's not funny anymore, I say, with fear revealing itself in my shaky voice. Where are you? But there is no one there. How about we sing a song? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Stop it right now, I scream. Come out. I can't come out, silly, it giggles. I'm in your head. From that point on, nothing makes the voice stop. It continues day and night, no matter what. I don't sleep, I don't eat. I stopped showing up for work. I am at my wit's end. On the fourth sleepless day, I start to walk. You want to play? All right, let's play, I say, staggering through the streets, not even noticing that I am barefoot. I walk with a singular purpose, not paying attention to anything around me, not even realizing that I am barreling towards the park. The voice has only gotten louder the closer to the park I get. It blocks out all other noise. I have completely ignored the sounds of an angry fight in the street in front of me. The argument is cacophonous and aggressive, but I keep marching towards it, unfazed. I'm only lifted from my trance by the sound of gunshots. And before I realize what is happening, I'm on the ground, a deep red pool forming under my chest. As the light begins fading, the street suddenly looks as though it has been transported to another time. My eyes are beginning to lose focus. They shut for long gaps of time. When I open them, I see a little boy 
sitting next to my friend on a stoop across the street. The boy is waving. A house key hangs from his neck. My friend looks at me solemnly and removes her scarf, the one with the cherry blossoms, and I see deep purple handprints on her neck. She gestures for me to look down, and in doing so, I see that in my hands is a yellow ball. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we we would be dead. are back with another installment of Cursed Objects this week. Ooh. Yes, we all had so much fun with the last round. And when we looked back on like which one of our episodes was more popular than others, this one ranked pretty high. It did, yeah. Which surprised me mm-hmm. a little bit because it was one we just did like, this is a fun one, but yeah. everyone seemed to really like it. So we decided to do another one. Yay. Leslie, tell us. What you're talking about. Last time you talked about a painting that made me want to, like, crawl out of my window and hide. <laughs> yeah. What are you yeah. telling us about today? And that was, and was that the Dybbuk box, too? No. Yeah, it was also the Dybbuk box. Yeah. We got to do two last time. Yeah, yeah. This time you get just um, the one. So this week, I am doing the Swansea Devil. Ooh, where is Swansea? It is in the UK, like the Wales. I am also in the UK. Okay. In Yorkshire, England. Okay. So that's exciting. I am talking about the Thomas Busby Stoop Chair. Nice. A lot of words. Uh, And I was also supposed to talk about one of the most famous cursed objects of all time, the Hope Diamond this week as well, but I'm going to be real with everybody for like one minute. I'm having some rather severe back and neck problems that made sitting and typing nearly impossible. Leslie has just watched me like sadly hobble mm-hmm. around with ice on my back <laughs> for the past hour. It's a bad scene. I know. I'm not well. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good, you guys. It's super painful. She should be in a neck brace. <laughs> I probably should. I don't know. My physical therapist did not say that. I won't say his name, okay. even though I love his name. Okay. Just in case he listens. I did tell him, <laughs> all about us (laughs) and he's a delight wonderful i'd love him to be our friend soon okay so we'll bring him on bring him on yeah there you go remember that week that holly was like real weird yeah let's talk about that (laughs) um but i do still have my hope diamond segue in here because it's really fun and i talked about it this week so um know that we are going to deal with that as a full case okay because it's actually really long okay I thought it was just going to be like, it's a pretty necklace and it's really big and they think it has a curse and movie stars, woo! It's not. It's super long. Right. Yeah, because it passed through a bunch of hands. Yeah, and it was and, stolen and yeah. it was first like retrieved Raiders of the Lost Ark style yeah. from like, a, uh, it's bananas. I know. So it yeah. has like a a pretty huge story and okay. I'm looking forward to the rabbit holes that I go down with it. Great. Anyway, like I said on my personal social media earlier this week, if you're friends with me, you heard it. So just pretend that you didn't. It bears repeating. 
I now, having researched it, totally get that scene in Titanic. Hmm. Because if I owned a necklace that had a giant blue cursed diamond in it, I would want to be photographed wearing only that necklace all the time. Right. There'd be like a thousand pictures of me just in that giant blue diamond. Just that and your tits out. Fuck yeah. Right? (laughs) Wouldn't you? Yeah. Giant diamond? Yes. Nothing else. That's it. I think I would wear nothing but that necklace and the like super expensive perfume Mm. for the rest of my life. Okay. That will be my whole life. I like it. It's not terrible, right? No. I mean, if I'm living in a world where we suspend our disbelief to think I have a like a 42 carat diamond, I'm pretty financially stable. So that's fine. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And I think if you're that rich, you owe it to the world to be entertainingly eccentric. Mm -hmm. If you have more money than anyone can possibly fathom, you have to be weird. Yes. Not Elon Musk weird, but weird. Well, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what the Kardashians are like, right? They're weird. They do weird shit. They don't get weird. Just like Bella Swan doesn't get weird. Ugh. They get like, nah, girl. We're not going to talk about how mad I was about Marilyn Monroe's dress. Mm. (laughs) It was very mad. Let's put it that way. If any of you want to hear my diatribe on why that never should have happened, you can let us know and I will put it somewhere else. It'll be a postmortem. Be a patron. I'll tell you all about it. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you talking like Kim Kardashian? No. I have oh, no you don't? Idea. I have no she idea what wore, you're talking about. So, okay. Do you know Oh, the, is that that, that dress The that flesh color dress on? covered in crystals that Marilyn Monroe wore when she did like, happy birthday. Yeah. Oh, was Kim that the actual dress? Yeah. She wore her actual oh. dress to the Met Gala, like bought it from a museum type situation. And they did, did not have the same measurements as Kim Kardashian. Oh, that's the one she was, like, having a hard time walking in, right? And she publicly said she starved herself to fit into, which is a terrible thing for a public figure to say. Do you think she meant that? No, she had to have because her measurements, which I researched, were, they would, the dress wouldn't have closed. She had to have been on a liquid diet for, like, at least three weeks to get into that dress. Well, I mean, that's just fasting, girl. We're not done, promoting done right. It can be very healthy We're and therapeutic. We're not going to promote weeks and weeks of a liquid diet to fit into a historic dress that doesn't belong on your body. Anyway, she was just practicing Ramadan. <laughs> Leslie, I don't know. She absolutely was I'm not, not here. I'm not here. Kim Kardashian does not need me to stick up for her. She doesn't. You're right. I'm just saying. <laughs> God. I was in a wedding. I know what it takes to try to fit into a dress. <laughs> you worked really hard. And I then did work like, really what hard. What happened? <laughs> anyway, that was a fun tangent that we went on. There are a lot of things that money can buy, you guys. Most things, if we're being honest, it can buy most things. But the one thing money can't buy is the internal glow that comes with 42 carats of glittering validation. That's right. A hill worth dying on. <laughs> It is a hill worth dying on. (laughs) And thankfully, you, dear fiends, can provide us with 42 carats and more. But how, you might be asking, and no, it does not involve a Ferris Bueller-style analogy. You can simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. That truly is the only way to move this podcast forward. It only takes a moment, but it means the world to us. And if you didn't get the Ferris Bueller reference, going to need you to be 10 years older and also go watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If it has aged well, I'm not sure if that one gets weird or... We still watch it with the kids. It's not like a weirdly racist or misogynistic one because 
I just loved Pretty in Pink and 16 Candles, but they aged badly. There was like a couple things, but like not really. Okay. Like, all right, then you can watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off and you can come back if you when you get that reference. Um, and if you would like a little more We Would Be Dead in your life, you can support us over on Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you'll gain access to our weekly video after show post-mortem. It's going to be interesting today. As well as all of the episodes of 30-Minute Horror Movies. If you liked last week's episode, you will love the rest of them. I mean, you will also get didn't like last week's. I mean, I couldn't possibly tell you. I think it was a frantic roller coaster of fun. It was because we were also trying to get you to your physical therapy Holy on shit, time. We had <laughs> such a deadline last yeah. week because you had what did you have going on? You had something going on where you. Couldn't... I just had something later. Yeah, yeah. But like the following day, you couldn't or something. You uh, like yeah. had to really get it in there. And I had physical therapy. It was early in the morning, which if you know anything about us, you know we don't normally do. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like racing the clock for our yeah. lives. <laughs> Which I think made it more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you also get access to special mini sews and the benefits just keep on coming. You'll get a special gift in the mail from us, the opportunity to Zoom with us and some other awesome patrons like yourself. Um, you'll have opportunities to vote on future episode <laughs> topics. Zoom with yourself. Zoom with yourself. <laughs> I don't know. What if you had the opportunity to do that? That might be fun. It's terrifying. I think I'd hate it. Yes, I'd I would be very absolutely concerned that I did not like myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have to stop. You're very annoying, and I'm now I'm self-aware. <laughs> That's all that would go. Opportunities to vote on future episodes, as I said, an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media platforms. Like all of them, we have them all. We are at Would Be Dead Pod, um, but especially um, follow us on Instagram. Because they are notoriously a harsh mistress and very important. You can share our content, like stuff, like all the stuff. Nobody's stopping you. You can like everything we do. You can post about your favorite episode. Let us know when you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell the tour guide at your local weird museum. What's their name? You worked at Mac. There's probably a hundred people like that. I know. Leslie worked for our local weird museum. <laughs> it's Leslie. It's it's me. This week it's Leslie. It is Leslie. <laughs> then your friends and Leslie can become fiends and we can all hang out together. I think that's all the rambling I have for today. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, Holly. Yes. If anybody <gasps> wants to actually physically financially buy us <laughs> validation they can now do so oh my god you had a thing yes over at buymeacoffee.com slash would be dead pod that's us that's us you can buy us validation and we had a bunch of fiends ask us if there was any way that they could almost like leave us a tip almost oh, like fun. if they just wanted to venmo Thank or anything you. like that and uh, instead of joining Patreon, Patreon which Got is it. a monthly fee. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes they're like, oh, I just wanted to like throw you something. Sure. And um, and I found this site, which is buymeacoffee.com. Mm. And you could do it for like a ton of things. Like you can do it if you're going on like a bachelor at weekend or something. Oh. And somebody just wants to like get you a drink instead of it being like through Venmo. Mm -hmm. So it's like a fun way to I have to an do interesting that. thing to pose to you. Is there a way we could say if you donate a certain amount you can tell us a topic and we have to do it 
yeah, we probably could. So there's different goals on there. Yeah. So right now, and I could always like adjust this anyway, okay. but right now I just made up our first goal, which is raising money, which Holly and I will also be putting in. And it's also with Patreon of money course. too, but it's uh to help kind of build up our studio yes. so that we have actual chairs to sit in. Which I had uh, to get this week because it was <laughs> medically necessary. Yeah. But we wanted to have like kind of an area where if we had a guest come over. Or Which we'd we like do, to have more of. We'd mm-hmm. love to have some guests. Um, whenever we do more video content, we kind of have a nice space to do yeah, that. Which in. we do host mortem every week. So. Uh, but yeah, we were just trying to build up that, and so with some of the help from our listeners, that would be one way to do yeah, it. That'd be great. Um, but we could absolutely like have say, a goal yeah. set for like once we reach, say it's like two hundred dollars, we would do this episode or oh, this I was topic, thinking or we'll my thought let, was like if you make like say a fifty dollar donation, yeah. Whatever your request is, like, we do that in, like, a week or so. Yeah. You yeah, donate 50 probably... bucks, I'll do whatever you say in a week. Yeah, we probably could. I'm here for it. Okay. But that's not a thing yet, so don't not be yet. doing it. I'm just, like, thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you can buy anything. You could buy my research for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can look into that. That'd be fun. I but think yeah, that's you can fun. Go, you can go on there, and it's really fun. So right now it says, like, buy We Would Be Dead um, some validation. Or like a dose of validation. Dear God, buy it for us. Yeah. It's uh it's adorable. But I love it. You did a great job. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> so buy us some validation, you guys. It's gonna be fun. I think is that everything we got? That's that's all I got this week. You had a thing. I'm I very did. proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right then. On with the show. <laughs> Do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, I'll go first. This okay. Week. Go ahead. I'll jump right in. I'm excited. Okay. So again, my story is on the Swansea Devil. He goes by several names. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the Swansea Devil, Old Nick, or just the Devil. Old Nick. Old Nick. That's a good yeah. one. But it's this like little statue. So Oh, you sent I me love... that picture. It is unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be in our photo suite. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this story. I'm so excited uh, to hear it. I didn't look up anything. Okay. I stayed very in the dark because I want to be surprised. Yeah. Okay. So, our story takes place in 1890 in Swansea, Wales. At the center of the city was St. Mary's Church. The church was looking grim and there was a move to finance a rebuild. Several local architects put their names into the hat, but ultimately an impressive English architect by the name of Sir Arthur William Blumfield was awarded the job. Arthur Blumfield can be credited with designing the Royal College of Music in London, as well as becoming the architect to the Bank of England. Oh, all right. So the town of Swansea was very excited to have such an established architect heading up the rebuild of St. Mary's Church although not everyone was pleased. One local architect in particular was very unhappy with this decision. Unfortunately, there are no records of this man's name, but we do know that he had put his name in for the running to design the church. So when the word got out... Okay, he was mad. He's like, it wasn't me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm mad. Well, there just isn't like... They just didn't have any of this information down, but they have records of other things that this guy did. They just, for some reason, do not have his actual name. Fair enough. But he was a local architect. 
he did put his name in for the running of this church and then mm-hmm. he didn't get it and neither oh. did any of the other local okay. um, architects. Uh, so when word got out that a non-local won the bid, he was furious. He felt betrayed. How could the town disregard one of their own? And as time went on and the church was built, the architect was still angry by the betrayal. When a row of cottages directly across from the church was put up for sale, the architect quickly snatched them up and devised the plan of revenge. The first thing he did upon sale was tear down the quaint cottages, and in its place he built a large red brick building that towered over the new St. Mary's Church. Shit. I know. (laughs) That's the level of petty I aspire I, to get on. Right? <laughs> so we'll show pictures of the church. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a large, like, Catholic church. Like, well, I don't know if it's Catholic. I'm just saying St. Mary. I guess it's Catholic. St. Mary? Mary's. That sounds Catholic. Yeah. I mean, it might not be, but it does sound that way. I would think so because they're the saint people. They are the same um, people. They fucking love a saint. They love a saint, and St. Mary is the best. <laughs> you know, you don't get better than that. Yeah. She gave birth to God under duress. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't even ask. Not that. duress. It was involuntary. That's what I should yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, is that pertinent now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Keep going. Settle down over there. This building housed the brewery offices. I don't know what. There's a brewery there? I guess. I don't know what. I tried to look this up. I don't know what they were for. But that's not the important part. Okay. (laughs) As I wrote the next sentence. It feels important to me. (laughs) On the front of the building, in the center, above the windows, like high up, Mm -hmm. staring directly down at the church, he placed a wooden carving of what appeared to be a devil. Stop. Which he named Old Nick. Ew. Why? (laughs) Ew. Is that like a gargoyle situation? It kind of looks like, I would say it almost looks like a gargoyle yeah, in a way. Colorful. All right, let me tell you what it looks tell like me right about now. It. And then I'll also tell you some of the other information I found out actually after I finished writing. Please. Because always when you're finally done, yep. then you're like, oh, here's all this oh, other you're information. Never done. Yeah, never. This wooden carving of a devil is about three feet tall and it does resemble a devil. It has horns on the head, a goatee beard, a long forked tail that curls around to the front. Its body is half man, half goat. So, like, the upper body is of a man's and a lower body is of the goat. So, that's a satyr, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I, I guess. It is. <laughs> like, I trust you. <laughs> and the expression on its face is very mischievous. It, it has, is. like, has like a little side smirk going on. And its hands, its arms are, like, he has one arm that's up, like, near his face. And the other one's, like, a little bit lower. But it just looks like he's, like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I I saw the picture you sent me, but that's like it. So okay. I do know what it looks like. Okay. So um as of right now, the the majority of it is it looks like it was red. Okay. And it has a black beard, black hair, okay. black horns, right. um, black like hooves and like black end of the tail. Very black Philip. Yeah. Love. Now what I found out though is that from some other people that lived so there was uh, some apartment buildings like in that red brick building. Yes. So um, one of the historians that I got a lot of this information from, Mark Rees, he um, met some people that lived in the town way back ago. Okay. And also back, in the day. back way back in the day, like before the, I would say like 
40s and 50s. Old timey times. And some people that actually lived in that red brick building. Okay. And from what they, they remember two things. They remember that the original wood carving, they remember it being all black. Oh, and shit. Yeah. And so he was thinking about that time frame then, and it wasn't necessarily anything like racist. That right, right. it would no, have no, been no, like no, that, no. but um, just during colorings and other things like uh, like and it and very well could have been like just trying to look like a gargoyle, yeah, you know, to hide what it actually was. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, another person thought that it had that it was holding a wine glass, oh. which could be um, which could actually make it not a devil then, and more of this other mischievous like Greek god, like a that, satyr. That's what they do. They like yeah. Are- Mm-hmm. Like Pan. Yeah. Yeah. And it still would have been something to kind of like mock the church still would yeah. have been placed there, but not quite like as devilish as they were trying to gotcha, go gotcha. for. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I thought was interesting was that the back. So when you look at when you look at the statue, it looks almost like fully formed all the way around. Okay. But when you actually see it in person, which this historian, when he finally actually saw it in person, he said that the back is completely flat. Oh, weird. So it actually looks like it might have been on a ship, which oh. in that respect, he felt like that made it seem more like it might have been going along the lines of like the Greek yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of God like mischievous god thing and like drinking wine and just being that kind of thing versus like a devil Mm -hmm. yeah and then maybe this was something he was gifted or maybe it was from sure the like the architects from like his boat and he threw there's no like actual historical record of where this thing came from no nice Mm -hmm. okay nothing like that um and then it being the color that it is now we also don't have yet a historical record of like was this repainted Oh, verse like, okay, yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of stuff like this story has been like pulled together almost kind of recently, like this whole wow, story. okay. I'm looking at pictures right now because all the pictures are not all black, they are like colored. So he's like, that's what we know of down now. to red. The only reason that we have that anecdote okay. is from somebody that lived in that apartment building way back in the day. And it's probably like 80, 90, might not even be alive at this point from when he got this like interview. And it was black then. Mm-hmm. That's oh, what she said that she remembered. I wonder how they would have gotten it off. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm staring at it while you tell the story. Okay. And upon this Swansea devil, the architect placed a curse. When your church is destroyed and burnt to the ground, my devil will remain laughing. <gasps> He does look like he's laughing. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. pretty sinister. And there the statue stayed, looking down on the church until half a century later. During World War II, the town of Swansea was bombed heavily during the Blitz. Swansea was a major port and became a strategic target for Nazi Germany. The town was demolished during the three-night air raid in February of 1941. And as you can probably guess, St. Mary's Church was one of the buildings that burned to the ground. <gasps> oh, no. And across the street, the large red brick building remained unscathed. It was bricks. So it did it. Well, be, yeah, but the church was like stone and stuff, I thought. Yeah. I thought from the pictures, it looked like shouldn't burn as much. 
I know. But everything, everything else in town was down. Just this one building. All right. But it's not even like burning. So it's like they're bombing the town. Okay. Like bricks aren't going to. Yeah. So across the street, the, the red brick building was still standing. Looked like it was completely unharmed. They okay. didn't have to do any restoration project wow. on this after. And old Nick, this wooden statue on top, also unaffected completely. How did they one of those? And with a big smirk on his face, he just watched St. Mary's burn. Burn that shit to the yeah. ground. And so many believe at this point the prophecy was fulfilled. Yeah. Right? Who wouldn't? After the war was over, the city of Swansea began to rebuild. Old Nick had to watch from his stoop as St. Mary's was being rebuilt with the same design. And nobody got rid of him. They were like, Meh, you're probably bad. No. <laughs> okay. Half the, half the town really enjoyed him. I mean, I kind of enjoy yeah. him. And then in 1962, the Red Brick Brewery offices were torn down to become a large quadrant shopping center. And just like that, old Nick disappeared <gasps> from no. the rubbish. He just went away? Yep. Nobody knows where he went. So 20 years later, in 1980s, Rowley Davies, a respected historian, published an appeal in the South Wales Evening Post, which is the local newspaper in surrounding areas, to ask for the devil's whereabouts. No one knew where the devil was. Mm. No, no one knew where the devil it was. Where the devil is the devil? But luckily, all the stars aligned the day this paper went out. <gasps> a telecommunications engineer, Glenn Lewis, was visiting home in nearby Swansea. At the time, he was working in Germany. So while home, he read the local paper and saw the appeal. He just okay. like happened to be home this day. Oh, my God. He immediately called the newspaper and told them that he might know where the Swansea devil was. Why? So being from the area, Lewis passed by the statue of old Nick every day for <gasps> work. So this was when he used to live in Swansea, and right? still out, hanging no, out? No, just listen. Okay. So we're going back in time for a minute. Okay, back in time. Got it. So he does, He knows exactly what the statue looks like because he drove by it every yes. day for a okay. while. He was disappointed when the building was taken down and old Nick was not put back up. Most of the town just thought, like, they just didn't put, the th- like, the oh, devil up. Okay. In 1964, shortly after the old Nick vanished, Lewis had been working in Hereford, which is a little over an hour and a half away from Swansea, okay. when he struck up a conversation with a man whose parents had run an antique shop. <gasps> they had just sold it and bought a coal business in Credden Hill, and Lewis was invited back to where the business operated. And there, in the yard, under the tarp, he discovered old Nick. Under a tarp? Mm-hmm. In the yard? Yep. So this was um, 1964. So now, jumping 20 years later to when um, when this appeal was thrown into the newspapers in the 80s, like, where's old Nick? Yeah. Um, he called the newspaper and told them this tale. And sure enough, old Nick was in an antique shop in Hereford collecting dust. <gasps> How furious would you be if you owned that store and you were like, I had that? Yeah. All this time? I know. I could have been charging admission. I know. So, with the help of local historians and the city council, Old Nick was returned home. I think it was like 300 euros the town pulled together to, like, bring this thing. They, like, paid for it it. and they brought it home. Yeah, that's That's it. Bananas. (laughs) It's actually pretty cheap. It's fine. It was fine. (laughs) They, like, I'm sure that the people were like, what? Because at this point, I don't know how much of the history was such a big deal. Maybe they kept it under wraps. 
they were like, well, that like, looks like a cool thing. That's probably, we should have that. We should yeah. probably get it back. <laughs> Let's do it. So the Swansea Devil was situated close to where he had originally sat, now inside the shopping center. And so I'll show pictures of that too. Like, it's just, it, it's, a shopping, it's a shopping center. It's a big window and it's just sitting in front of it, like a window. <laughs> and it's still just staring. So they put it where it, around where it would have been. So it's, it would be like looking at St. Mary's Church. Oh, right? God. So most of the town was excited to see old Nick in his rightful space, but others were not. Members of St. Mary's Church took this as an affront. <laughs> Furious. Yeah. And a petition was delivered to the Swansea Council calling for it to be removed, of course. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like this, we can't have this double staring he at us. He burnt down too. our church. So they kind of won. He was relocated, although only slightly. And he could be seen looking quietly down from the window at the White Wall's entrance to the Quadrant's East Mall. And St. Mary's, so <laughs> I have to put this. Store. I know. Well, no, because it's in, it's in the Quadrant's East side of the mall. But that's Still, also it's in a mall. I can't. I know. <laughs> and St. Mary's is also located on the east side. So, for what, so from what I gathered, it's still on the same side they just I think they just moved it down so it's not directly looking at St. Mary's Church <laughs> but it's still over there got it so this is where he stayed for decades oh no and then in the early like 20 in early 2019 mm -hmm. the carving of old Nick vanished again no yeah again yeah no him. I know well, we didn't know at first we had no idea what happened to him tell me yeah. So, um, again, nobody knew. Uh, the historian that, again, I got a lot of this information from, which is uh, Mark Reeves, Rees, he went around asking everybody in the mall, all the people that worked there. Hey, everybody at the mall. Yeah. Hi, Hi. Josh from Hot Topic. Yeah. Do you know where this yeah. thing is? Yeah. He talked to security guards. He oh talked God. to, like, you know, management. Nobody could tell him anything. And um, so he was writing this story down, too, about, about Old Nick. And he said that he published the book. And then he got a call from a friend that was like, I found Old Nick. So after what? he published his book and got it, like, printed. Uh, how <laughs> so, mad would you be if that were your friend? You're like, can you get your shit together? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, and it's it was actually, so he was having a book uh, premiere, you know, like a book signing premiere at the Swansea Museum. Oh. And he found out that that's where the devil was. I was going to say, was he in attendance? Yes, he was in attendance. So uh, what had happened was the Quadrant Building uh, had donated these, um, had donated Old Nick to the Swansea Museum to ensure his legacy and enable his restoration and upkeep. They're good people. So locals say that they keep him behind a glass more for our protection than his. Obviously. He's spooky looking. His eyes are very scary. Yes. They do so, not point the same direction. So um, that was also something that I was looking up. The The way the design is, isn't to, it's weird because up close, it looks like it's moving. The eyes are moving with you in any direction. They look like glass eyes mm -hmm. too. It's very weird. But if you were to uh, have him up high above, okay. it does look, they don't move like that. So it, it 
it's like a weird perspective angle. So yeah. if you were to have it eye up, it would look like it was just staring straight down at something. I don't know which like one's worse. Yeah. But up close, it does look like it kind of moves with you. It also looks like one is one way and the other is like slightly another way. Yeah. Like, what are you? He's very mischievous. He Or drunk. Yeah. He's having a great time. Yes. Other people might I mean, not his be. prophecy is fulfilled. They're like, what else does he have to do? I mean, party? He's feeling good. Yeah. He's feeling fantastic. He's looking for other things to wreck. Okay. Which was this man's book, apparently. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to fuck up your book now. Burn it to the ground. <laughs> All right, old Nick. The other funny thing is that, uh, so if you look up this story, you will find that old Nick was supposed to be, like, when they found him in the 80s, mm-hmm. instead of it being in this antique shop, everyone thought it was, like, in Gloucestershire's, like, in a, like, a garage somewhere in somebody's basement, just, like, also at weird. a house, right? Apparently, that was a, that was a, um, a rumor that this same historian made. He got, like, wrong information, and oh. then, like, through working with, uh, like the the newspaper and mm. the journalists, they were like, no, 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 we we got it out of this antique shop. So he was like, so that was my bad, but that information is Whoop. everywhere. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. He didn't know. Yeah. He was just trying his best. Yeah. So the only place you can get the real story from is like, is by, you have to specifically Google this information and then you will find the newspaper article from the whales. Like the whatever the Swansea Wales oh like my God. Tribune or whatever it's called. The, the Swansea Wales Tribune. Yeah. Evening Post <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> I am gonna subscribe <laughs> right away. I almost did. I've subscribed to so many things for this. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, was so my fun one. Mm-hmm. I like him. I know. I kinda he's kinda fun. Yeah, I'm all right. I think I would, I would hang out with him. He was given a job. He did it. And then he did it. End of story. I would love to feel fulfilled. Me too. My- like, I've accomplished it. Check. Yeah. yeah. But although, how much would that suck, though, just to watch it all be rebuilt exactly the same? Furious. <laughs> I would be furious. You guys, He was probably I so did, tormented. So I worked so I did it. Yeah. You're not supposed to just you go. Guys, you guys saw that, right? Like it did burn down. I I didn't just I imagine did it. that. <laughs> that was a thing that I did. Right? My whole life's work. Cool. Yeah. Just. Yeah. I don't need it. You know what, guys? You know what? You know, fuck you. I'm going to. I'm yeah. just going to disappear. Go fuck yourself. I'm going to go live in an antique Find shop. me somewhere else. <laughs> I'm in a basement. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to be in someone's basement. And that's how this is going to end. Oh, my gosh. Don't say that. Bye, guys. Oh, my God. All right. What's your story? Oh, goodness. The Thomas Busby stoop chair, which sounds like a fanciful, like, Hey Arnold situation, but it's not. Um, (laughs) My story is taking us also all the way over the pond to jolly old England um, to the town of Thrisk. Yes. The town of Thrisk is, quote, perfectly nestled between the Yorkshire Dales and the North Yorkshire Moors. And it is filled with incredible independent shops, places to eat, and businesses. In other words, Thrisk, which is how you all have to pronounce it forever, is adorable. Oh, It's Cape May. Yeah. It's Yorkshire nice. Cape May. Aww. It really is, too. 
And I didn't go into it like meaning it to be, but it really, really is. It's a coastal town with streets that are lined with quaint shops and small businesses. There are farmers markets and pubs and more old buildings than you can shake a stick at. If you should find yourself in Trisk and you're bored on a rainy day, you may end up wandering into the small and eccentric Trisk Museum. I love a little tiny museum. Mm -hmm. They're so good. They're so weird, too. Usually they're super proud of whatever hometown hero the place is devoted to. Mm -hmm. But then they're also kind of like a a junkyard for the town's oddities because there was no room on the shelves anywhere else and all the respectable places just didn't want them. Right. Yeah. Kind of like. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I mean, also, Cape May Mac is great. Kind of like the Visica State, which is cool. Super cool. And if you're in town, you should visit it. Yeah. But it is very much the same. Like, they're like Dr. Physic, who no one knows who he is anymore. Yeah. And, like, he, and he never practiced. No! <laughs> but he's like this hometown hero and his house is still there. So we talk about him. Yeah. So these places kind of become a storage locker for the old and bizarre. And the Thrisk Museum is no exception. The museum is inside the birthplace of Thomas Lord a professional cricketer. I love that they call them like cricketers. Yes. And he played from a professional or like class one, whatever it is classified as cricket from 1787 to 1802 and founded Lord's Cricket Ground in St. John's Wood, London, which is clearly a venue in which people cricket. (laughs) So many craft moms would love that. I know. They're like, oh, I'm a cricketeer. Isn't that what you call them? Yeah. Yeah, very good. This historic home boasts its original architecture because it's always in somebody's historic home every time. Mm -hmm. And it also has a ton of antiques set up to look like it was still 1755, which is the year Mr. Lord was born. And there are an assortment of wax dummies demonstrating life in the way back in the old days times, usually by way of the tools of the trade. So they'll have like a yoke on carrying buckets with water or like, one of them is an in-period nurse attire pushing an old woman wax dummy in an old-timey wheelchair for no reason. Mm. Doesn't relate to the house, but it's there. Um, and they're always wearing clothing of the time period, which makes sense, kind of. The Thrisk Museum is also home to a, a large amount of cricket memorabilia and historic flotsam and jetsam associated with the game. And that checks out, too, because that's what this guy is known for. But... The Thrisk Museum also houses a chaotic amount of other things for seemingly no reason. And among them is an old wooden chair, the kind that looks like it belongs in like a wood paneled pub. You know, mm-hmm. the chair I'm talking, kind of chair I'm talking about. And it is suspended a few feet above the ground via hooks in the wall. And they look like command hooks, which is very strange. Right. Why not just put it on the ground where chairs normally live? You might ask. Well, um, so no one will sit in it, of course. Is it fragile? No, not especially. But is it horribly cursed? And if you sit in it, you'll probably die a horrible death. Um, Yeah, it sure is. So we probably should keep it up high. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with the Thrisk Museum's logic, but perhaps we should elaborate on it a little bit. Tethered to the chair with a piece of white cord is a laminated piece of paper which shows a picture of the chair. And I'm not sure why that's there because you're looking at the real thing right in front of your face. 
but then the paper also has a picture. It's best not to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. Paper also has a small write-up on it entitled The Busby Stoop Chair. And that is where we get the story. To begin, the stoop we are referring to is not the front stairs of a home or apartment building. It's the upside-down L-shaped structure, usually braced by the side of a building that one might hang a gibbet from. And a gibbet is not what is stored in the weird little bag deep within the cavity of a Thanksgiving turkey. It is a human-sized cage. You know, gibbets. (laughs) Make gravy out of them. I love gibbet gravy. Oh, my gosh. A gibbet is actually a human-sized cage, and it's usually um, kind of forged so it would just fit around a human body with, like, no room to spare. This is a very tight situation. And it is a primitive form of execution and body-slash-reputation desecration. See, we got there. We got to the scary part. Now, being gibbeted can refer to a couple of things. First, it could be that a person who has been convicted of a crime would be locked in the gibbet and suspended there until they died of exposure. So you just starve, dehydrate, and freeze or heat up to death in this cage. Yeah, it's terrible. And then their body would be left after the fact to rot. Humane. Or they might be lucky enough to skip the first part and just have their body placed on display in the gibbet after they were already hanged in the town square. Why? You might ask. Why? To make an example of them, of course. A place you may have seen this particular structure is in Pirates of the Caribbean, both on the ride in Disney World and in the movie. In the movie, in the very beginning, there's like a bunch of skeletons in a cage suspended over the water. Yeah. That is what we are talking about. Okay. So, you know, you can't just have like youths robbing and murdering and thinking there are no consequences to that sort of thing. You see that body in the gibbet. They did those things. Maybe you won't do it. And gibbets weren't kept somewhere discreet either. This was a quality spectacle kept near the gallows in the town square, Mm -hmm. obviously. But what does that have to do with Thomas Busby? Also, who was Thomas Busby? Right. (laughs) Allow me to explain. Thomas Busby was a pretty rough guy who lived and did rough guy stuff in North Yorkshire in the late 1600s. Rumor has it that he was a thief and a drunk and a general violent and nasty guy. So you don't want to be around him. He's not fun. But because women love a project, he was also married. Okay. Right. (laughs) He married a woman named Elizabeth Autie. Elizabeth was the daughter of a local petty crook named Daniel Autie. And he and Thomas had a lot in common. They're both crooks. Good place to start. Yeah. So he was, Daniel, that is, was very cool with the whole, like, this violent creep is marrying my daughter vibe. He's like, we're the same. It's fine. (laughs) You're just like me. Violent creeps unite. So at the time of their marriage, in one version of this story, Thomas was the owner of a local inn slash tavern, and Daniel lived on a farm just three miles away from said tavern. Being that the two had perfectly viable business options in this version of the story, because there are several, they naturally decided to join forces and then create a coin and paper counterfeiting business. Why wouldn't you just make money on your other businesses? Couldn't tell you. And they operated this business from Daniel's rather remote farm. So that's, we're separated. We can counterfeit coins and paper. Wonder if they could make the paper on a cricket. Probably. If they had a cricket. Yeah. 
or just a cricket bat they use to lean yeah. on or something. <laughs> Tie it all in. I yeah. love it. <laughs> There's also rumors that this farm that Daniel had where they did the counterfeiting had like secret tunnels in the walls and like secret rooms behind bookshelves and stuff, which if that's the case, it's really fucking cool. I would love to see the proof. There is yes. none as of right now, but like yeah. I'll suspend my disbelief to think that was a thing. That's great. Yeah, I'm there with you. Yeah. So they're both criminals. And Thomas is a pretty volatile personality. So he and Daniel did not always see eye to eye. And this makes it so Thomas is nearly always angry with Daniel. There's no mention of Daniel being the angry one. It's always Thomas. He's so put out. He's so angry. He's so annoyed. He complains publicly about this guy all of the time. His father-in-law, who he is in business with. It seems they did not have the same philosophies on conducting business. That's being generous. Um, which is why you should never mix family and money. Right. Now, it should also be said that Thomas Busby was a very particular gentleman. He liked to drink at his inn in the same chair every day. That was his fucking chair, and nobody else was to sit in it. Don't sit in my fucking chair. Okay. Right. So he's like, what's the dad on the Goldbergs? He had like his chair. I feel like that's true. Also, people are going to make Big Bang Theory relations here. Okay. Oh, yeah, I didn't watch that. I didn't either, but I know it's a thing. Um, It's relatable. There are people in this world who yeah. want their one place to sit, and that's it. I mean, and I would definitely think that back then, there that was a thing. My fucking chair. Those men. Don't sit in my yeah. fucking chair. Yeah, it's a now, power. It's a power. Yeah, story. totally. In another widely told version of this story, the inn was merely a place that Thomas frequented. He didn't own it. So we really don't know. There aren't records back in the 1600s of it. Um, but he liked to sit in the same spot every time he was there. So same principle. That's his okay. fucking chair. Don't fucking sit in it. He just didn't own the building. Right. And his like job. The, like the group, like the friends. Friends group. Yes. <laughs> we all sit at this couch, which is reserved in this busy coffee shop, and nobody yeah. argues with us. Very much the same thing. <laughs> Perfect. But his job was just like criminaling, not owning the inn. He was a crimateer. <laughs> he was a crimateer, which I think makes more sense because if you owned a successful inn, why would you be thieving all the time? How would you even have time? Right, right. Either way, one afternoon, Thomas and Daniel were making fake money, what they did. When <laughs> they got... That's what everyone calls it. Right. <laughs> they were making fake <laughs> money, <laughs> wink. When they got into an argument, a lover spat in this strange alternate reality we're creating. Um, and it was either about Thomas's relationship with his wife, which would be Daniel's daughter, or it was business related. Mm -hmm. There is no clarification on which one it was. We only know it was one of the two because Thomas frequently complained about both of them. <laughs> he bitched about these things all the time. It could have been either. But during this particular argument, Thomas got so heated that he stormed out of the farmhouse and walked the three miles down to the inn where he took his seat in his fucking chair and got real, 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 real drunk. Okay. That's how we solve our problems. Now, I don't know if you guys know this about alcohol, but it can make you really mad. What? I know. Weird, right? I thought angry drunk was just like a funny, fanciful thing people said. Right? So Thomas sat there drunk and just getting angrier and angrier and angrier about the argument he had had with Daniel that afternoon. He got himself to a point where he was just boiling angry. And so he stormed the three miles back to the farm 
and murdered Daniel with a hammer. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. You think, how long do you think that took him to get there? So okay, like, well, if you're walking at a good clip, about like 15 minim- minutes an hour. Or 15 minutes a mile. Sorry, yes, right. 15 minutes a mile. So like minimum, I would say, I yeah. I would say an hour, a round hour. Yeah, He's drunk 40, too. He's 45. very drunk. Yeah. So yeah, that's a long time. To like not cool off enough. No, and to be... Res- and like, to not sober up. No, you're not cooled off. You're not sobered up and you are just gonna do this shit. Yeah, like, wild. Rolls up into the barn or whatever, gets a hammer, goes into the house and kills the shit out of his father-in-law. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now, for a moment, this becomes a choose-your-own-adventure story. (gasps) Yay! So, Leslie, should Thomas go back to the inn or go home to his wife? Don't worry, I'll tell both versions either way. Okay. Um, I think that he should... Well, he has has had quite a night. I think he should just... Go home. <laughs> okay, you say he goes home to his wife, which is my favorite of the two options. Okay. Good job. So, Thomas returns from the bloody deed back home to his wife and tries to go about his life normally. But soon, he is discovered and apprehended by the police. So they either find, again, there's no details on this. Either they find his body and they go like, well, clearly his son-in-law, who is making all this fake money with him, right. is guilty. Or he, his wife is like, I'm pretty sure you killed my dad, and yeah. calls the police. One way or the other, they apprehend him. Thomas is then held at the local jail until his trial. At his trial, Thomas is convicted of murder and sentenced to be hanged and gibbeted. On the day of his execution, police officers walk him to the gallows, and in the process, they pass by his inn, or the inn he liked to hang out at. You choose whichever one you think. It could have been either. Thomas asks the officers if he can go inside and have one last drink before he is executed. And the officers oblige. That's nice of them. Right? And I get it. Like, this guy's about to be executed, and then his body is going to be left in a cage. Mm-hmm. Let the man have a drink. Thomas goes in, sits down in his fucking chair, drinks his very last beverage, and when he finishes, he stands up next to the chair and proclaims that anyone who sits in his chair from that day forward, would meet an unnatural end, just as he was about to do. Cursing the chair. The officers then escort him to the gallows, which are a very short distance from the inn, where he is hanged and then gibbeted right outside that very inn. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or... I changed my mind, Tali. I think that he went back to the inn. Back to the inn. (laughs) Rewind. (laughs) Thomas returns to the inn and sits down in his chair, where he stays until the police come for him the next day. So he just sits in that fucking chair, staring and drinking until the cops come for him. Okay. When When they get there, they inform Thomas that he is under arrest, at which point he finishes his drink slams the glass down on the table, stands up and proclaims that he curses this chair, his chair, and that anyone else who dares to sit in it from that moment forward will meet an unnatural end just as he did. Thomas is then escorted off to jail. He is tried and convicted of murder and sentenced to hang and then have his body gibbeted right beside the inn he loved or maybe owned or maybe both. We can't be sure. (laughs) So, 
whichever you choose to believe in this choose your own adventure, mm-hmm. according to actual local records, Thomas Busby was hanged in the summer of 1702 for the murder of his father-in-law. And his body was gibbeted outside an inn that has since been renamed the Busby Stoop Inn. Ah. So those are facts. They did happen. Okay. Now, if there was ever a recipe for a haunting, it's this story. Yes. (laughs) Clearly, there is a very angry ghost right about to enter the chat at this moment. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the chair made good on Thomas Busby's promise and killed anyone who dared to sit in it. Yeah. Now, we don't have a record of a lot of these deaths, like an official record. But apparently, the first death um, that was documented was that of a chimney sweep in the late 1800s. This is like almost 200 years later. There's a sizable time gap here. This man went to the inn, sat in Thomas's chair, got up when he was finished drinking for the evening, hard drinking, by the way, walked out of the inn, down the road a little bit, and fell face first into the road. Oh. Yeah. The next morning, he was found hanged from the gibbet where Thomas's body once was left to rot. Oh. So I guess somebody saw him bite it in the road and was like, ah, he's going to sleep it off in the middle of the road for a little while. And then the next morning, they found him murdered. Wow. Yeah. I thought he was going to die because he just fell. Like, I, I thought foot. a carriage and I was, was like, going to oh run God, over him. That's how I go. I'm just going to trip Drug one in the day road. And like, fall face first, but dead. Yeah, I thought a horse and buggy was going to run over him, like, out cold in the road, which would have been way more dramatic, and people should let me write history. Yeah, well, but, but, to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. fair. um, The curse is that he would die. Unnaturally. Yeah, oh yeah, unnaturally. So it means that, like, they're going to get killed, and it's not going to be great. Okay. Not that it's ever great, I was thinking that it would be, like, similar. So the fact that he got hanged. No, they just need to be, like, Killed and not okay. naturally like, oh, I was 115 years old and then I just laid down and died after yeah, I yeah. was in that chair. Right. So, flash forward a lot of years because there are big gaps in the story. During the Second World War, Busby's Stoop Inn became a very popular hangout for RCAF airmen. So there's a lot of Air Force type guys, UK Air Force guys. And they would go to this inn and dare each other to sit in the chair. It was a thing. Don't do it, soldiers. And the ones that were brave enough to do so, to actually sit in the chair, were shortly after leaving assigned bombing missions and then never came back. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, and this apparently happened to enough of them that it wasn't just like, oh, two or three, that's coincidence. It was like a lot. Okay. Oh, I know. Isn't that sad? Yeah. After the war, there was another cooling off period for Thomas Busby's chair. Nothing happened for a little while. Maybe somebody put up a sign. Hey, don't sit in that chair. Or they thought, we should take this out of our dining room because people are dying all the time. Right. But then in the 70s, apparently somebody brought it right back on out or whatever happened because it resumed its murderous ways. Now, there are several stories from this time period, but they don't have exact dates or names as this is like an urban legend, Mm -hmm. a huge one. One story tells of a cleaning lady who absentmindedly knocked over the chair while mopping. 
The next day, she was diagnosed with a fatal brain tumor and quickly succumbed to it. Yeah. There were also several people in this time period who entered the inn, sat in the chair, and then died in a car or motorcycle accident, leaving the inn on their way home. Mm. All of whom reported the same thing before their deaths. Now, this is where I think it gets weird. They all claimed to feel like a little sick to their stomach or dizzy. And then they would get very itchy, like their skin was on fire. They would be like scratching violently. And after that, they would briefly see a vision of their own imminent death. Hmm. A vision none of them took seriously before it was too late. I guess they would just be saying this at the end. They would be talking to like the people in their party, like, I don't feel well. And they'd be, I mean, when you're really itchy, you're going to be agitated Mm -hmm. and scratching themselves. And then they'd be like, oh, I, like, I guess some of them said, I feel like something bad is going to happen. I feel like something bad is going to happen. And then they're like, see you guys later. Good night. Bye. I'm super itchy. I have to go home. And then they died in a car crash. Oh, my God. But the weird thing is so many of them had that same thing where they didn't feel well. They felt depressed. They thought something bad was going to happen to them. And then they got very itchy. Yeah. Which is torturous. Itching is something that will scientifically drive you mad. Yes. If you're itchy enough, like, it is going to have unbelievable effects on you. Yeah. So another story was that a group of construction workers came into the inn one afternoon for lunch. They all sat down around the table where Busby's chair was, and they dared the youngest member of their party to sit in the chair. And, of course, he didn't want to look scared, so he did it. They all had a good laugh. Like, ah, you did it. Good job, you brave dude. Whatever. Maybe they bought him lunch. I fucking hope they did. When they get back to the site, um, they go about their work day. And this young man was working up on the roof of this building. They were, like, working on or constructing. And out of nowhere, the roof gave way. And he fell through it all the way to the concrete floor below him. Wow. Obviously, he did not make it out of that fall alive. Before falling... He claimed to his co-workers that he was feeling a little sick and very itchy. Mm. Right. He thought that maybe he had eaten something he was allergic to. So he's like, I don't feel well. I feel like I'm like crawling out of my skin. I think, think my lunch like didn't agree with me or maybe I had something I was allergic to. And then bam, the roof gave way and he died. Mm. So I think that story only checks out if you're allergic to ghosts. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. So after that, I know, after that incident, the owner of the inn was like, maybe we should put this chair in the basement, take it out of rotation for a little while. This is bad for business. Yeah. And he did just that. But of course, like the basement is not going to hold this chair. Mm -hmm. It's not going to stop this. After he put it in the basement, a little time passed. But then one day, a delivery man from a local brewery, another brewery, they're all over. Mm -hmm came down into that basement one morning while he was making a delivery because that was where their storage was. And the man saw the chair sitting in a corner and thought it was so funny and silly. He's like, you are so scared of just a chair that you had to put it in your basement alone. Right. That's really funny. So he thought, I'm going to sit in it. That's hilarious. That's not funny. No, it's not funny. So he sat down in the chair And he was yelling to the owner, who he probably had, like, a sort of friendly relationship with. Because if you're a delivery guy for long enough, you get to know people. He was like, oh, boy, this chair is so comfortable. If you're just going to leave it in the basement, maybe I'll take it home and use it in my house. (laughs) The owner did not care for that. He walked 
out of wherever other room he was in. I'm assuming there's a couple in the basement and he was just white as a sheet and somber. And he looked at the driver and he simply said goodbye. He was like, I, I guess this is it for you. I'm sorry. Oh my God. That's that. That's terrifying. I know. What happened? And of course the driver's like, fuck you. No way. Way to commit to a bit. But on his drive back to the brewery, the driver thought he saw something dart out in front of his car. And so he swerved to miss it. But in the process, he lost control and drove directly into a tree Mm. and was killed upon impact. So then how do we know that he saw something? Mm. (laughs) Who did he tell that he saw something, Holly? I don't know. Maybe other people on the road was like, that truck just swerved out of nowhere. I guess he thought he saw something. Okay. Maybe they saw it too. (gasps) I don't know. When was this? In the, like, mid-70s. After that incident, the owner of the inn thought, maybe I should get rid of this fucking chair that is bringing me only sadness and pain. And so in 1978, he sold it to the Thrisk Museum, which they were very happy to have this famous artifact. They're like, cool, cursed chair, business. (laughs) Uh, But they didn't want to take any chances, smart, so they hung it where nobody could sit in it ever again. That sounds like such a Mac thing to do. Right. Like, like, we would have done this at ours. Yeah, we would have done that at With ours. With command hooks. Yeah. I swear to God, they're command hooks. And it remains there to this day. Some people say the deaths were all a coincidence. There is huge gaps in between them. The stories are very vague. Other people claim that anyone who sat in that chair, knowing that there was a curse, was a risk taker. And therefore they could succumb to a fatal accident at a greater rate than somebody else because they would take risks. They would drive fast. They would not wear helmets. They would climb up on a roof of a construction site, whatever you want to say. And they have a greater risk of dying as a recourse of their behavior. We'll let you guys decide what you think for yourselves. But one little postscript on this story. Years after the museum acquired the chair, a furniture historian, didn't know that was a job, sounds pretty cool, came into the museum and asked if he could examine this chair. They said, yeah, go ahead. Tell us what you find. So he found that it had machine-turned spindles, whereas 18th century chairs, remember, 1702, that's what we're talking about, were made using a pull lathe. This man dated the chair to 1840, not 1702 or before. And this is 138 years after Thomas Busby's execution Hmm. that this chair would have been made. But it is also closer to when the documented deaths began. So I ask you this. If it wasn't Thomas Busby who haunted that chair, who was it? Ew. Ew, Holly. I know. No. (laughs) I know. That's not in any of the stories. Everyone's like, oh, I guess it was just a fake. I'm like, or who was in that chair? Right. Because that chair has been around since the mid-1800s. The first death is the late 1800s. Oh, my God. And then what does the chair that Busby actually haunted look like? Like, Where is that one? Who is that one fucking up? There's chairs eating people all over the town. My God. Yorkshire's crazy chair place. Do not sit in a chair in Yorkshire. Don't sit in any chairs unless they're very modern, like robot chairs. 
Well, I know what our tag is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the Busby Stoop Chair story. Oh, my God. Yeah. Spooky. That's spooky. I would be so mad if I walked into a bar and then there was a chair sitting in the corner that was like, don't sit in that chair. It's haunted. I'd be so mad. Um, I would be more mad if it didn't have a sign and wasn't in a corner. It was yeah. just set at a table and you could sit in it and not know that it might yeah. probably would kill you. I don't you. know why. I'm like imagining just this chair like off to the side, like like near the near a fireplace, just in a little corner. It wasn't though. It, it was just there. at a table. It oh. was at a table in the middle of the floor and it looks like the chairs that were at Elaine's. Those like oh. wooden. Yeah. Yeah. I back. At it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't put off to the side for a long time. It was just sitting there with all of the other normal chairs. But then with no sign on it? No. No, just that. That's so rude. Why would you do that? How many deaths does it take for you to be like, I should probably fucking... If anything, that's all the guy asked for was, can you just put a sign on here that says nobody sit here? Also, you're right. He was like, nobody sit in my fucking chair. Yeah. Also, like, take that one out of rotation. Right. You're, you're a restaurant you could get yeah one chair i'm sure over your tenure of like hundreds of years being an inn you have replaced chairs Mm -hmm. throw another one on the order yeah or like that could have been their thing like people could have come in and they could have had that like showcase like this is where he sits i think my favorite thought is that their showcase was like we have all original chairs <laughs> come to our pub all the chairs are original yeah. and people were like fuck yeah chairs old That's ass chairs i've heard that before i've gone in and been like these are all the original stools right but there's also like 20 other chairs yeah i know why are you gonna sit in just the dangerous one Ugh, nutty now we're all gonna be afraid of chairs i'm terrified i'm gonna stand up <laughs> I'm just standing forever. Yes. That walled-eyed devil. Sitting. I mean, here's the thing. They do tell you that sitting is slowly killing us all, so. I mean, I'm 100% sure it's fucking me up. Yeah. We've already had that yeah. discussion. I had to buy a very expensive chair this week, so. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if it's full of ghosts. Ew, that's why it's gray. It is gray. I didn't want it to be gray, but it is. It's very comfortable, though. Yeah. Full of comfortable ghosts. Squishy ghost. <laughs> That's what I'm sitting on. Squishy, squishy ghost. Yes. <laughs> Toast? Toast. Okay. So, your story. I kind of want to toast old Nick. I do too. I, I, I don't hate him. No, he just, he had a job to do and he did it. He's a pretty good time. He's pretty mischievous looking. Yeah. He's just hanging out in a glass case in a mall. I don't think anybody was physically hurt either. No. No. I like him. I'm pro old Nick. Yeah. So cheers to old Nick. Do we have anybody else to toast this week? Well, I thought because this was the first week that we did our, uh, where you can buy us a dose of validation. Yes. I thought I would um, give a toast to the two supporters this week. Ooh. So we have... Um, the way that it comes up, you can put whatever name you want. So we have someone. <laughs> someone bought us a dose of validation. Cheers to them. Thank you, someone. And Audrey bought us five doses of validation. Thank you, Audrey. 
All right. Thank you, ladies. We are now 16% of our goal. Ladies is... or lady and gentleman. Yes. Or gentle body. That's true. We don't know. I know. We just went we just went for it. <laughs> <laughs> it could be any person. Yeah. Thank you, any person. Thank you, any person. <laughs> Thank you, someone and Audrey. <laughs> yes. And if we encountered a cursed object while innocently vacationing in England, we, we would, would be, be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Don't sit in my fucking chair. <laughs>